Well, this is the final message in the series, Revive Us Again. And I've been encouraged to see God work in some lives throughout this series. I, I've been encouraged to see that some of you are perhaps walking a little closer to Jesus now uh, than you were a month ago. And, and I really believe that there's a growing awareness in our church that we need revival. There's a growing desire in our church to experience revival and to experience personal revival. But we have to be honest and ask the question, will revival come? I mean, it's one thing to have a series of messages. It's one thing to go through this time and say, yes, we want and need revival. But the question we've really got to be honest about is, will revival come? And the answer is quite simple. It's up to you. It's up to you. It's up to you. And it's up to me. Now, I don't want to confuse you. In the very first message in this series, I told you that revival is the work of God. That revival is when God does something for us and in us to bring us back to life again in our relationship with Him. However, you need to hear this. God only revives a repentant person. That's the only person God will revive. A repentant person. You see, God issues the call to return to Him And then it's our move. He issues the call to come back to Him. And then it's your move. And you must decide to deal with sin in your life so that you can have a fresh encounter with God. I was reading this week, uh, found a a story that I want to share with you. It's, It's about the revival in Scotland in the 1940s. In 1949, two elderly ladies were praying for revival. They were praying daily for revival in their lives and in the Hebrides Islands of Scotland. Faith had reached an all-time low in that country, and they were so spiritually thirsty that they claimed God's promise in Isaiah 44.3 that says, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. They began to claim that promise. They claimed that scripture, and these two ladies were praying over and over and over They kept praying for a long time. Finally, they convinced their pastor that people should ask God to quicken their hearts. And and he and a handful of men gathered in a barn nightly for prayer for months with no results. They prayed every night for months with no results. Then one day early in the morning hours, a young man read Psalm 24, 3 through 5. And here's what that verse says. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. That young man, speaking in his native Gaelic, said, and I quote, Brethren, it seems to me just sentimental humbug to be praying as we're praying, to be waiting as we're waiting here, if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. Then he asks, in front of his men, his friends, he asks this question. Lord, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? He and his fellow intercessors fell on their faces in that barn, and their lives were revived as they got their hands and their hearts clean before the Lord. Duncan Campbell, an itinerant minister, was invited to lead a series of services in their town after that. By Sunday of the first week, listen to this, by Sunday of the first week, the whole island was filled with a God consciousness. 
Churches were filled to overflowing. Groups and crowds met in the fields and by the roadside to get right with God. Wouldn't that be interesting, driving down the road? What's those people over there doing? Oh, they're getting right with God. Youth left to dance at midnight to go to church. People who couldn't sleep came to church in the middle of the night to get right with God. In one Scottish community, not a home was left without someone coming to Christ. Now listen to this. Over the next four years, God poured waters on the thirsty ground in keeping with His promise that those with clean hands and a pure heart would receive a downpour of His blessing. You see, when it comes right down to it, your relationship with God hinges on your willingness to deal with your sin. Revival for you hinges on your willingness to deal with your sin. Revival will never come in your life until you honestly and completely deal with the sin in your life. Now in Hebrews chapter 12, there's a verse that shows us how to do that, how to deal with the sin in our lives. I want you to open God's Word to the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be looking primarily at verse 1. We'll read verse 2 as well, but Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, really shows us how to deal with the sin that's in our lives so that we can have a relationship with God that we want to have that would honor Him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, begins this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to notice the very first word in verse 1. What is that first word? Therefore. That word is critical to understanding this passage. The word therefore signifies that what the author is about to write is based on what he has just written. That what he has just written is now going to be applied in what he's about to write. Therefore, he says, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, who is this great cloud of witnesses? Well, he's simply pointing back to what he has written about in chapter 11. He's pointing back to the people he wrote about. In chapter 11. In chapter 11, he wrote about the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. Heroes of the faith in the Old Testament who had extreme faith in God. Heroes of the faith who were sold out in the relationship with God. We don't have time to read about all these heroes of the faith, but let's take a few minutes just to read about two or three, uh, or maybe a little bit more than that. In verse 7, he writes about, for example, Noah. By faith... Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Look in verse 8, he writes about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And the whole chapter is about heroes of the faith like that. For sake of time, skip down to verse 32, and he summarizes very quickly other folks like this who were totally sold out to God. He says in verse 32, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, 
Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. These were the people who were sold out to God. These were the people who were living out their faith in Christ even when it was costly to do so. And so the author refers to these people as that great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now, the, the, the word picture is, is almost as if we're in a stadium. There's this great race going on. And he says we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. But the word witnesses does not mean that they are spectators watching us. That would be nice. That would be awesome to think about, well, if there's Abraham and Noah and Peter and and they're all watching us run this race, but that's not the picture. The word witnesses comes from from a root word from which we get our word martyr. And it has the idea that these are people who are testifying. They are giving testimony about God's faithfulness. These are the people who are saying, we've lived it, we've been there, He is faithful. Continue on in what you're doing. They are witnesses to us. They are encouragers for us. They are testifying to us to trust God and to keep going. And so he says, read it again in verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, then he says three times, let us. It's interesting. It's almost as if the author of Hebrews is saying, now it's your move. I've told you about the great people of faith in chapter 11. I've told you about how they've trusted God and were sold out to God. Now, it's your move. Let us do these things as well. And so he says three times the word let us, or the phrase let us. Let us, number one, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us, the third time, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. There are three things that he mentions here that challenges us to follow the example of the great heroes of the faith. Here's the first one. He said, because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us do this. Here's the first one. Discard anything that hinders your relationship with God. Discard anything that hinders your relationship with God. He says in verse 1, Let us throw off everything that hinders. The New King James says, Let us lay aside every weight. The Living Bible says, Let's strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back. 
The New Living Translation says, let us strip off every weight, every weight that slows us down. Can I ask you a question this morning? Is there something weighing you down? Is there something in your heart? Is there something in your life? Is there some sin that you're dealing with that's just kind of weighing you down? Let me introduce you to Shrek the sheep. Shrek doesn't look like an ordinary sheep, does he? Shrek lived in New Zealand. The reason Shrek looks like this is because he got away from his shepherd and he lived on his own for six years. He hid in caves for six years. You see, sheep are supposed to be shorn annually. But because he was away from his shepherd, he could not be shorn. He could not be shaved and and the fleece removed. And so, in 2004, they found Shrek looking like this. Shrek became an international celebrity, especially uh, where he was living. And so, in New Zealand, when it became the day, to, they said a day that they would, would shave Shrek. I think the official word is shorn, but anyway, they decided to give him a shave and take the fleece off. It was aired on national television. Broadcast on national television in New Zealand. And they shaved the fleece off. And when they shaved the fleece off, it weighed 60 pounds. Now the average fleece that comes off of a sheep when it is shorn is a a little under 10 pounds. So Shrek was carrying six times the weight he should have been carrying. Because for six years, he had been away from his shepherd. That happens to people too, doesn't it? It's not as obvious. We don't go around church looking like this. But it happens to people too. We get away from our shepherd. And we begin to carry weight. We shouldn't be carrying. And we get weighted down. Weighted down because we're away from the shepherd. I thought of what are some of the weights that we carry. And I I came up with what I would call my top five. Just things that I've noticed over years of pastoring. And there's other weights, I'm sure. Perhaps I'm not going to mention the one that you're struggling with. But perhaps you struggle with one of these. The top five that I would say that we struggle with as far as weights that we carry. One is guilt. Guilt over things in our past. And it's just like a weight we're carrying around day after day. Another is worry, worrying about the future and some things that may or may not happen. Another is anger, anger and bitterness over hurt and and problems. Another is unforgiveness. And a fifth one would be stress. I've seen over and over and over God's people try to carry these things. And they try to carry them for months and they try to carry them for years and it becomes heavier and heavier and heavier. Things that, that you've allowed to grow instead of letting go. Perhaps you've let the sun go down on your anger too many times. And you've become an angry and bitter person and the darkness is starting to engulf you. I heard the story of, or read the story rather, of a pastor named Daryl Robinson who had a lady come into his office unexpectedly. She didn't have an appointment or anything. In fact, he was about to go out the door. When she came in the door, he could tell she was very upset. She said, could I talk to you? I need to talk to somebody. He said, okay, come on in. And so they went into the office and sat down and He said, what's the problem? And she said, 
I don't want to live anymore. And I'm thinking about suicide. He said, okay, tell me about it. And as they talked, he let her just kind of unload for a little bit and all the negative thoughts and feelings that she was having. And then he stopped her and he said, may I tell you something? He said, I've noticed over the years that there are two things in the life of a Christian that would, would perhaps bring them to this point. One is guilt. The other is hostility. And he explained that a little further, and then she said, well, I'm not aware of any particular sin in my life that would produce the the guilt feelings that you're talking about. Then he asked her, well, is there any hostility? Is there any anger? Is there any bitterness in your heart towards anybody? And immediately, she began to, to weep. And as she was weeping, she cried out, I hate her. For ten years, she took my husband away. Ten years ago, I I have hated her, and I've hated her all of this time. So he began to counsel her. They got in 1 John and was reading through 1 John, and they came to 1 John 1, verse 9, that says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He said, I want you to understand something. The sin of your husband and the sin of that woman, they are responsible for that but you are responsible for the way you have responded to what they've done. You are responsible for the bitterness you've allowed to grow in your heart. And she got on the floor with that pastor, and she prayed and asked for God's forgiveness, and she prayed this, and I quote, Oh God, for ten years I have hated her. Please forgive me and cleanse me. Help me to forgive, love, and reach out to her in love. And the pastor said, Daryl said, that when she got up off of her knees, she looked at him with a smile on her face, and she said, For the first time in 10 years, I have peace in my heart and I'm ready to start living again. She decided she had been carrying that weight long enough. Ask yourself this question. Am I willing to discard anything that hinders my relationship with God? If you want revival in your life, you have to be willing to get rid of those things that weigh you down, that distract you, and that steal your passion for the Lord? Am I willing to discard anything and everything that hinders my relationship with God? And when you're able to say yes, then you're ready for revival. The writer goes on to say, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. And then he says and the sin that so easily entangles us. Here's the second challenge in our text. Confess and forsake any sin that has you in bondage. He says, throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. The author does not name any particular sin. Have you noticed that? He just called it the sin that so easily entangles us. Because the sin might be different for you than it is for me. The sin might be different for you than it is somebody next to you. He describes it simply as the sin that so easily entangles us. The New Living Translation says, the sin that so easily hinders our progress. For some of you right now, there is a sin that has entangled you. It is a sin you can't, want, you can't walk away from or won't walk away from. It is a sin that is hindering your progress as a Christian. Perhaps you might even be feeling a little bit uncomfortable right now because the Holy Spirit of God is, is 
pointing his spotlight on that sin, and you know exactly what it is, and the Holy Spirit perhaps is bringing it to your mind right now. You know it's wrong. You know that it's hindering your walk with God. But you've continued in that sin. You've been unwilling to let go of it. Can I ask you a question? Everybody look up here. Can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? How long will you allow this sin to mess up your life? How long are you going to hang on to it and allow this sin that so easily entangles you to trip you up? See, one of the things that happens when I read the Bible is that it brings me face to face with my own failings and my own struggles. And when I read Scripture, I sometimes see the darkness and the ugliness that is in me. But God does not show me that darkness and ugliness to humiliate me. He shows it to me so that I can rid my life of it and be restored in my fellowship with Him. Revival comes when I'm willing to deal with the darkness and the ugliness that God reveals to me. Perhaps for you it's an addiction. Or maybe it's an adulterous relationship. Maybe it's a dishonest business practice. Things that the world perhaps might not even notice, but God will not overlook. God is asking you today, will you confess and forsake that sin that has you in bondage? Will you confess and forsake the sin, listen, that so easily entangles you? And there's a third challenge in this text. The third challenge is to keep living for God when quitting looks like a better option. Look how he describes it in verse 1. He says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. One thing I've learned in walking with God over the years is that the Christian life is not a hundred yard dash. It is a long distance race, isn't it? The day that you trusted Jesus, you got off to a great start. Remember that day? Remember that day how excited you were? Remember that day when you started the race? Remember the smile that you had, the the peace that you had, the excitement that you had? You got off to a great start. My question for you is how are you going to finish? Notice the word perseverance in this verse. We're to run with perseverance, it says in the NIV. King James says we run with patience. New American Standard says we run with endurance. You know what it's telling us? Being sold out to God is not easy. Being sold out to God and living for Him, it sounds easy, but many times it is not. And we have to run with endurance and perseverance and patience. There are days when you will want to give up, but don't do it. Run with perseverance. Run with patience. Run with endurance. In fact, Jesus made it clear, didn't He? He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, He said. I have what, church? I have what? I've overcome the world. You see, in His power, we can do what He did. In His power, we can be overcomers as well. What God has called you to is not about quitting. What God has called you to is about overcoming. And so He says, run with perseverance. You keep running in the race when it feels like you want to quit. You say, well, what about, my, what about my spouse? What about my friends? What about this person, that person? I don't see them doing this. I don't see them living for God. I don't see them. You notice what he says. Run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. I'm not talking about the race your parents are running. 
I'm not talking about the race that your children are running. I'm not talking about the race that your spouse is running. I'm not talking about the race that somebody in your BSF class is running. I'm talking about the race God's marked out for you. Run with perseverance. When you feel like you want to quit, run with perseverance. Be steadfast, constant, continuing, whether others do or not. When God called you into this race, He called you to finish, not to quit. I want to be like the Apostle Paul when he says, I've run the race, I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. I want to tell you something, and I'm going to close here in just a minute. I want everybody to hear this. We're praying for revival. I want to listen carefully. We're praying for revival. Revival usually doesn't come quickly. Do you hear me? Revival usually doesn't come quickly. Many times, it is the result of long obedience. Many times, revival is the result of long obedience. Continuing to persevere, continuing to pray, continuing to stay on our knees, continuing to ask, continuing to search my heart, continuing to do what God says. Revival, many times, is the result of long obedience. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, run with perseverance. Run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. So in those times when you want to quit, don't. Stay faithful. Stay on your knees. Stay in the race. Will revival come? It's up to you. It's up to me. I want to pray with you. Would you bow your heads? Every head bowed. Every head bowed. Are you willing to discard anything that hinders your relationship with God? Are you willing to do that today? Maybe in this invitation. Maybe right here at this altar. Just discard anything that hinders your relationship with God. Are you willing to confess and forsake that sin that has you in bondage? Are you willing to confess and forsake that sin that so easily entangles you? And are you willing to keep living for God when quitting looks like the better option? Are you? Are you willing to keep living for God when quitting would be a better option, at least in your mind? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the, and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we might continue to run the race in such a way we would glorify your name. And so, Lord, if there's any weights that we need to let go of, if there's anything we need to discard, if, there's, if it's the sin that so easily entangles us, may we confess it and forsake it, not by our power, but by your grace and your power. And when we want to quit, when we want to give up, when we want to walk away, encourage us to stay in the race, to stay faithful, stay on our knees keep believing and keep going.
So God, we can't bring revival, but you can. We declare again, you are our Lord and our God. Show us today, I pray, if our hands are clean and if our heart is pure.